Okay, we are in uh, Matthew. We just finished up Matthew chapter 6 last week. And we were talking about seeking His kingdom and His righteousness. And all these things will be added to you in verse 33. Let me just give you a couple of examples of what it means to seek His kingdom. Practical things, what it means to seek His kingdom. You know, every Saturday morning... That's the only morning that Shireen doesn't necessarily have to wake up to get the kids ready for church or get them to school. So she leaves Monday through Friday for school with the kids. They have to leave the house at 7 o'clock. And so she has to get, get going fairly early. On Saturdays, though, she leaves about the same time as well. And that's to get over to Sam's Club to do all the shopping for Sunday breakfast and Sunday lunch but she's putting the kingdom of God before her one day to sleep in. That's the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Putting these things first. One that that greatly irritates my daughter, and that is that we own two minivans, which are the most uncool cars from what I am told. That it's just really shameful to drive a minivan. She was, you're nodding your head, that, that, is it pretty shameful to drive a mini? Pretty shameful. Okay. She actually used to work at the Toyota Center and, uh, uh, where they played basketball, and she was a, a towel girl for the, the, the Comets. And one night when she was leaving, the guy, one of the guys who works there saw her leaving in my van, and, and uh, uh, he said to her, Oh, so you're sporting the minivan tonight. And then... The next week, Shireen went to pick her up in Shireen's minivan, and the guy saw Shireen picking her up in, in, in another minivan, and he looked at my daughter and he said, your family's got two of those things? They're tripping. So I realized that, that it's the most uncool car. But the reason I do that is because so often we're transporting students around. And what we do is we buy our vehicles based on the ministry. Based on the ministry that we have, we buy our cars. This is where we have in view His kingdom and His righteousness. And then these things are added to us. I see my wife on on Sunday mornings. She leaves the house early, about 7.30 in the morning she leaves the house. Why? To buy the last few things and get it all set up because of His kingdom and His righteousness. And then she serves lunch. And then there's always some students that will be hanging around till dinner time. And she does this because of His kingdom and His righteousness. When we have this in view, it begins to change our attitudes. We don't have this thought like, oh wow, look at me, how great I am because I was able to get up on Sunday morning and bring myself to church. No, it begins to change because of His kingdom and His righteousness. I rise up early, daily, to seek His kingdom and His righteousness. It is because of the things of God we change our schedule. We buy things differently. We buy homes based on the kitchen arrangement and is it wide open so that as Shireen is working in the kitchen, we can have this effective ministry and have plenty of people in the home. We buy that with the intent of affecting His kingdom and His righteousness. And you know what happens when you do that? 
you end up getting really nice things that end up fitting very well in many other ways. Because as soon as we become selfish, we lose out. But when we put His kingdom and His righteousness first, we win in a big way. Alright, let's move down into Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7, reading from verse 1. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log that's in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Look at the picture that Jesus paints for us. It is as if I am standing here with a log that I've been impaled upon, and it's coming out of my eye, and all of this blood and goop is, is pouring out. And I'm, you know, like this, and, and I say, oh, by the way, I see a speck of sawdust in your eye. I have some forceps. Let me take it out for you. I mean, it's really a, quite a vivid picture. And you'd be like, wait, wait a minute. You're not getting near my eye. I mean, not with that thing in your eye. You're not the one to, to, to uh, be judging in this way. And this is exactly the picture that Jesus paints for us. It's really a wild picture. The reason that we see people and their faults is very often we have the same fault in our own lives. If we didn't have that fault, it would not affect us so much. We are most irritated by the faults that we ourselves have. That's what we're most irritated by. I lived in a house with nine other Christian guys. We lived in very tight quarters. I, I, sh I shared one room with four other guys. So one bedroom, no partitions between them or anything. I'm, I'm sorry, there were four of us in that one bedroom. So with three other guys. And, and you, you know, there were just, just difficult bathroom situations and everything. But the guy who irritated me the most was the most like me. He had the same habits that I have in many ways. The things that irritate us most about our parents, we are most likely to pick up those very habits. The thing that we say, I would never be like that, we must be very careful. We will probably end up being like that. Because we think about it so much, we end up becoming like that. The thing that we judge most, we end up becoming like. Because our hearts are evil. It says in James chapter 2, verse 13, James chapter 2, verse 13, Judgment will be merciless to him who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Judgment will be merciless to him who has shown no mercy. For mercy triumphs over judgment. That means the judgment that we see in this life and from God will be merciless. That means really, really hard if we have shown no mercy. 
for mercy triumphs over judgment. So often I am driving behind somebody who slows down all of a sudden and then makes a turn without having signaled. And I find myself getting irritated and then I have to reflect, have I ever done that? Have I ever turned without signaling? And the answer is yes. Have I ever done it more than once? And the answer is yes. Have I probably upset the people behind me by doing it? And the answer is yes. The thing that I want to judge, I have probably done many times myself. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying, that we need to look and we need to behold what our own hearts are like. Look in in Luke chapter 6. This is the classic portion where Jesus reflected upon this and told us exactly what our lives would be like. It is so good to have this book. With this Bible in hand, it tells us what is the outcome of our actions, both good and evil. It is all spelled out in this book. And if you and I ever start thinking that we know better than this book, I assure you, long after we are dead and gone and our little pet philosophies die with us, this book and its truth will remain. Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, verse 36, Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Pardon, and you will be pardoned. Give, and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. This verse is often used in the context of giving money, but that is not the context of this verse. There are other verses that speak to giving of money and sowing and reaping. But not this verse. This verse is speaking very specifically about giving and showing mercy. Giving judgment and what you will reap if you judge. Giving condemnation out and what you will reap. Pardoning and what you will reap in the way of a pardon. It says that we don't reap the same amount that we have sown. It says that we reap much more than we have sown. You plant one apple seed, you get an apple tree. That tree does not spring up immediately from that seed. It takes many years. But that one seed will bear forth thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of apples, each of those apples possessing many seeds. The principle of sowing and reaping is clear in the things of life. God has made it clear. And Jesus spells it out here. That what will happen is, it's going to pour into our lap a good measure. In other words, whatever we've dished out, we're going to get back in a good measure. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over. It means it's just coming out all over the place. We sow a little bit of judgment. We receive a lot of judgment back. 
Now, the judgment we receive back may not come for a decade or two decades, but it's coming back. We sow mercy and we receive mercy back. You know a woman who was really cruel and mean and harsh her whole life. When her children come to the city to visit her, they do not even stay in her home. And she complains, how come my own children don't want to even stay in my own home with me when they come into town? Well, I know why. It's the principle of sowing and reaping. It's the principle of sowing and reaping. You are reaping that which you have sown. If we sow mercy, we receive back mercy many times over. If we sow mercy, what happens is we reflect on our lives and we say, God, why have you been so good to me? You have been so kind and given me so much. And he says, oh, remember when you gave that dollar to that missionary? Yeah. Well, you're just reaping from that. The mercy, the kindness that you show, you reap back many times over. And the same with condemnation. You heap condemnation upon another. It is coming back to us when we do that. It is coming back to us many times over. Why is the whole world judging me? Everybody's always judging me. Everybody's always attacking me. Well, have you ever attacked anyone? Have I ever attacked anyone and condemned anyone? It's coming right back upon me. You know, God has this amazing sense of humor, too. Just to, to show us. The church has these meals on Wednesday nights, and I don't particularly care for the meals. They're just, you know, some of the meals are good, others of them are, are fattier than I, than I like, like to eat. And so one day I was complaining about it, and Shereen said, okay, fine. I'll bring you dinner and you can sit in the car and eat. When you're done, come on in for the fellowship. I said, that's a good idea. So, she brought dinner in this little Tupperware thing, so I parked the car out in front. And I'm eating dinner in the car, and this old man doesn't know I'm sitting in the car, and, and there's another car parked in front of me, and he just happens to be walking between the two cars. And he stops. He doesn't know I'm there, and he all of a sudden starts having a old man coughing attack. And he spit stuff continuously on the ground in front of me while I'm eating. And it's just spitting. And he's just, you know, drawing it up. Just drawing it up and spitting and drawing it up. Of all places for him to have stopped, and of all moments for him to have stopped, and not six feet in front of me is this coughing attack going on. I'm like, oh my goodness, you know. And... <laughs> This is just like the Lord. Okay, you want to have dinner in, in your peaceful setting and all alone? Fine, here you go. You know, we reap what we sow many times over. And I told Shereen this the other night. I said, I know, you know, because she brought me dinner the other night. And, and uh, uh, she said, you want to park out in front? I said, no, I'm parking far away. <laughs> park. But this is exactly what happens in our lives. And we will see this. That when we judge, God will bring back and put right in front of our face the same offense that we ourselves do. And this is what Jesus is getting at. And we receive it back many times over. 
And this is why when he speaks in, in Matthew chapter 7, and he talks about this log in our own eyes, so often we have that same log. If you and I do not, if you and I do not forgive our parents for the things that we think that they have done wrong to us, we will end up becoming just like them in that weakness of area. You say, oh, I would never do to my kids what my parents did to me. Guess what? There is a log that has been impaled within your eye. And there's all this junk oozing out of it, and you don't even know it. And it's probably going to come back upon you. And that's why we walk in grace toward our parents. And be thankful. Because whatever we sow, that we shall also reap. One day, Shireen was scolding the girls when they were younger, and she was telling them, you know, if you keep acting like this, your kids are going to do that to you. And Sabrina said, well, then you must have done it to your mom. (laughs) So, anyway, I don't know, I wasn't there when Shireen was growing up. (laughs) Anyway, verse 6. Of Matthew chapter 7, verse 6. Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet, and will turn and tear you to pieces. Do not throw your pearls before swine. And it says that if they do, they're not, if you do, they're not going to appreciate it. Just think of it. Here's the picture. You've got these pigs in a pen and you go out and you take your prize jewels and you lay them out before these pigs and the pigs sniff it take it up in their mouths snort and spit it out and then step on it there's your stinking jewels this is the picture Jesus gives us what might he mean by this You know, I've heard it said that there's certain people that we should preach the gospel to and certain people that we shouldn't. And I think that that's totally wrong. Paul continually went into the synagogues. Every time he went to a city, even though he was the apostle to the Gentiles, he first took the gospel to the Jews. And this is the pattern that you see in the scriptures. The gospel went first to the Jews. John the Baptist came to the Jews. Jesus came to the Jews. The apostles went first to the Jews. In every city that Paul went to, he first walked into the synagogue. And then when he was rejected, then he went out and he went to the Gentiles. He took the gospel. And if they rejected it, then he went forth to the Gentiles. I think what he's speaking about are different sort of things. The gospel we bring to the unbelievers. That we continue to bring. But I think that it doesn't make a lot of sense in most situations, not all, but in many situations, it doesn't make a lot of sense, for example, to speak about baptism before you introduce salvation to somebody. Let them get saved and then talk to them about baptism. You don't have to talk so much about church obedience before you get them saved. There are things and issues that you deal with. 
in many ways, many people want me to come and speak to their unbelieving friend about creation versus evolution. And I think that is a terrible place to start. I think very few people come to faith because of considering creation versus evolution. Our society is so filled from the cradle with the teachings of evolution, it is ludicrous to think of anything else. Ab initio, from the beginning, in dealing with a certain person. I think what we do is we introduce the things of Jesus Christ, and in that, then as a person starts to read, then they can begin to look at things from another mindset, and to say, well, maybe God did play a big role here, and can begin to consider things. I think, for example, to talk about demons and demonic activity to your roommate who isn't particularly undergoing anything beyond the ordinary demonic activity of drinking and getting drunk. You know, to talk about demons controlling his or her life probably isn't the best way to start, in my opinion. Now, there are some cultures where that's a very good place to start. You deal in some cultures and you mention demonic activity and immediately... They know what you're talking about because they've seen it. They've grown up around it. But not in Western culture. It doesn't generally work. There may be some instances where a person has been so involved in the demonic that they've seen the effects of it. They've seen the effects of it on their friends, on their family, and in their own lives. I was talking with young one man in my own home. He was telling us about the demonic activity that he had been in. And how he and his girlfriend were involved in this demonic activity and going, getting quite far involved in it. And then one day he was supposed to take this girl out and he didn't show up. And he got there about two hours late and he found her. She had hung herself in her home. And she was hanging over a pentagram that she inscribed into the ground. I mean, this is serious stuff. And to him, he understood demonic activity and where it could lead people. But in general, to start there is probably not the best place. It says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, let's turn there. Romans 10, 9 talks about what are the keys and the foundation of salvation. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. So if you confess with your mouth as Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, the resurrection is the place where we start. That Jesus is Lord and he's risen physically from the dead. This is the place that we bring people to. You say, but the resurrection, that's such a hard concept. But it's foundational. This is the foundation. Remember, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1, talks about the basic principles of our faith. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1, talks about the basic foundations that are laid there for us. Hebrews 6, 1, Therefore, leaving the elementary teachings about Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works, Faith toward God 
instructions about washings, laying on of hands, and the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. These are the basic foundations. And once you've brought somebody to a point of salvation, you can then bring them into a place of baptism, the washings. Resurrection. It talks about in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that we must come to a place of believing in the resurrection and believing that Jesus is Lord. This is where we start. This is the message that we bring to people. This is not throwing pearls before swine. This is the message we bring. And if there is rejection, you move on. You get over it. And I've been there. You know, I've shared with people... And they come and they snap back at me and I feel all wounded and I want to come home and suck my thumb and feel bad for myself. And the Bible says, well, pick yourself up and move on. This is part of preaching the gospel. It will not often be received. And then you get on and you move on to the next person. And you move on. If this is a person that you work with on a daily basis, you model it to them again and again. You model it to them and they will see your life and there will be other openings. There will be others. You may back off for a time, but there may be then other openings that God will, will, will bring forth. But he talks about these sort of things. Bringing a, not bringing our pearls before swine. Alright, Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will not give, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more... Will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask Him? Alright, so look what he says. He says, ask and you will receive. That's what he says. Ask and you will receive. Let's turn to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. It's just a few books before Revelation. After Hebrews is James. James chapter 4, verse 2. You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. That is the first and foremost reason why we do not have. And it's because we do not ask. People say, you know, God doesn't seem to do anything for me. Well, did you ever ask Him? The main reason why we do not get answers to prayer is because we don't pray. That is the main reason. We do not receive because we do not ask. And the same sort of thing happens in life. You know, I, I, I tell this to many of my young colleagues who start at the university and, and they've got to write their proposals to request money from the federal government for their, their funding situation. And I I tell them, in my first 36 months as a faculty member, I submitted 37 proposals in 36 months. That's a lot of asking. I asked these agencies so much, they gave me money just to keep from asking them anymore. Just give the guy some money so he quits bothering us. We come before God and we ask. We do not receive because we do not ask. That's what the scriptures say. And then in verse 
verse uh, verse three, uh, James chapter four, verse three. You ask and you do not, not do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your own pleasures. So the main reason why we do not receive answers to prayer is because we do not pray. The second reason why we do not receive is because we ask with wrong motives. They are for ourselves rather than for His kingdom and His righteousness. When we begin to focus in on His kingdom and His righteousness and want to see things happen because of His kingdom, He begins to trust us. He begins to trust that we're going to do something with it. When He begins to see that what He's given us, we've been faithful with, we've been gracious with, we've been giving with. And you think, well, when I make a lot of money, then I'll give. No, it starts now. I assure you, and I've been on both sides of this thing, that the more you make, the harder it is to give. So that doesn't make sense. I agree. It doesn't make sense, but it is true. The more you make, the harder it is to give. If you make $100 a week, you give $10. It is very hard for a person making $100,000 a year to give $10,000. You say, oh, it'd be easy then. It's not. It's not. In fact, it is the poor who proportionately give much more than the rich. The poor give much more than the rich. The more you make, the harder it is to give. That's why you learn now. Every penny you get, give something away. Give 10%. And remember, that's a starting place. And it shows faithfulness. It shows good stewardship. And God begins to have trust in you. That you'll follow through. You begin to seek His kingdom. Lord, I am so tired, but I want to wake up to study Your Word for the good of Your kingdom and Your righteousness. And God gives you strength. And God gives you new strength. And He begins to fill you. You're teaching a little Bible study. And you begin to, you begin to cry out to the Lord, Lord, I can't teach this. I can't do this. Lord, help me. And He sees your interest is to learn this so that you can help and teach others. And He will begin to fill you. And the Word of God will be open to you as never before. If all this Word is for you is to fill your own face, you'll never get much out of it. But if you take this Word with the intent of so blessing others with it, God will fill you with revelation and truth upon truth as you come before these Scriptures and begin to read it. You want this Word of God open to you? Learn to get on your knees and say, Lord, speak to me from this Word and teach me. Speak to me. Ask Him and He will teach you. Ask Him and He will fill you. We do not receive because we do not ask. Jesus says, ask and you will receive. Sometimes the word that we receive is no. But we receive an answer. Many times it is no. We don't always get exactly what we want. And the Word of God is clear on that. And He gives us, in Luke chapter 11, He touches on the same thing. Luke chapter 11, and we'll wrap up with this. Luke chapter 11, verse 9. Same sort of thing, but He adds one more line in this passage as He's talking to His disciples. 
Luke 11, verse 9. For I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Now suppose one of you, fathers, is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he is asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? You want the Holy Spirit flowing in your lives? Ask the Father, and He will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. Ask Him, and He will give you the Holy Spirit. You know, many things you will pray for in your life, and you will think, well, God never gave it to me. He's got something better then. He's got something better. I can testify of this in my own life. The first Christian girl I met, I prayed, boy, it would be great, Lord, to have her as a wife. And oh, it would have been a mess. Oh, it would have been a real mess. And God granted me such a tremendous woman. I mean, every day I thank God for the wife I have. And I never even saw the depths of what was there. God knew. God knew what she would look like. God knew what she would be like in 25 years after I met her. God knew. And I thank God for that. He knows what individuals are going to be like 25 years later. He knows what you'll go through with this person. That's why you ask and you submit this to Him. Ask and you will receive. If you feel like you're having to grab and you don't want to let this thing go because if it goes, this is your last chance. It's probably not the thing for you. God has a way for you that is so much better. And that's why the Word of God says that He will give to us more than we could ever ask or think. Beyond what we can ask, He will give to us. Beyond what we could think He would give to us. Beyond what I ever asked Him in my career, He has given me. Beyond what I ever imagined in my career, He has given me. More than I could ever ask or think. So yes, God didn't give me what I asked for. He's given me more than what I've asked for. God is that gracious and that good. And most of all, He gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. The reason we don't receive is one, we don't ask, and two, we ask with selfish motives. Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank You so much for the truth of Your Word. It is so good. Father, thank You that You have mapped out for us a plan in these Scriptures that gives us the way to a fruitful life. Father, thank You for Your Word that You promise us many things, including suffering, including shame and bearing Your name. But Father, thank You for Your mercies. And Father, I pray for these young people that You would so get a hold of their hearts that they'd learn to pray and to ask that they would learn to walk free of judgment. Father, that they would be gracious and forgiving and so reap forgiveness. Father, I pray that You would cause them to walk according to Your kingdom and Your righteousness and then have these things added to them. Father, bless them richly with good lives, I pray. May they follow Your Word in the name of Jesus. Amen.